0: to our uh, worship team earlier tonight and to some of my friends that, you know, tonight's one of those nights where I just feel like it's just so have to depend on Holy Spirit. You know, I've uh, had just a really, really busy day and uh, a really short night of sleep last night. And I'm, you know, just you so start, you start feeling that. And But then I'm, uh, you know, as we were talking and sharing, then our drummer won't mention any names. But, uh, you know, he just says, you know, it's like we need to have that all the time, that just that dependence on Holy Spirit all the time. And, you know, it's so true. Sometimes there's those times where we feel like, oh, God, I really need you. And then it's more so in the times where we don't, that we just need to say, God, man, I, I really need you. And, and so tonight, um, we are in part six of a series talking about Holy Spirit, and I think it's part six. I don't know. I lost count. I was uh, glad to have Gary here last week, and uh, just really, really amazing. If you missed last week, uh, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to us called My Two Sons, and uh, just talking about the power of grace, and uh, and really, really incredible for each and every uh, one of us. Um, But we're talking about um, Holy Spirit and, and getting to know Him. Uh, we realized in the first number of sessions that Holy Spirit's not a power. He's a person. And uh, we can have relationship with Him. And, and he's, His, his um, purpose in our lives is, is massive. But there was different words that described Him. Comforter, you know, the friend, the one, the, the one that was the teacher who would lead us into truth. And so over the, the first number of weeks, we spent all this time just simply talking about being aware of Him. Realizing that He's in our lives, He wants He's inviting us into relationship with Him, and for us to become more and more aware of that, and then to take those steps to be led by Him. When we we sense His voice to sort of step out in that, and have seen some and heard some great, great testimonies uh, uh, from many of you of how that's kind of been impacting your life outside of here. We're just like, I thought God was prompting me to do this, and and I did, and I spoke to that person, and it was amazing. You know, for some they said, you know, that person just broke down in tears. I, was like, I didn't know, but I just. Knew that I had to talk to them, and then we talked a couple of weeks ago about being filled with Holy Spirit, and basically realizing that it just means to be under His influence in the same way that you could be filled with alcohol and under the influence of alcohol, and you do things that aren't quite normal and uh, aren't quite like you uh, because you're you're influenced by something. He said, "I want you to be so influenced by my Spirit that." Uh, that people can see, man, that can possibly be just them. You know, as you say, oh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know if I'm growing in my walk. Holy Spirit's the one who, uh, who helps us in that in our lives. He's the one who helps us learn the truth of his word. If you read the word without asking him to enlighten it and, and make it real, it's really difficult to learn stuff on our own. But his desire is to teach us. He's the one who wants to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in your life and in your relationships and give direction and purpose for your life each and every day. He's the one that helps with victory over sin and temptation. And he's the one that fills up that empty feeling on the inside. You know, we talked about that. How many Christians have like this emptiness inside? Like, I, I, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, but I feel empty. And he just wants to fill that emptiness with him. It's that actual relationship with God. It's with Holy Spirit. And we realize, too, uh, that he wants to give us the power and the ability to witness, to share our faith. And in all, all of that has to do with this idea of being filled, being led by Holy Spirit, being aware of him, having him in our lives. And so, uh, in, in today, uh, I want to start, it's kind of like a two-part series in the series, and then we're going to finish with uh, this next week. But talking about the gifts of Holy Spirit, because we haven't touched on that at all. Normally, that's where everybody starts. You start talking about Holy Spirit, and you start talking in 1 Corinthians 14 about the different gifts, and we, we started realizing a couple weeks ago that, that Holy Spirit and God is more concerned about relational than sensational. He's more concerned about the relationship with him than the sensational, than the just seeing his hand move. And we're going to learn tonight that he's also more concerned about your relationships uh, among the, the, the brothers and, and uh, also with the world than he is about the sensational uh, as well. And so we want to take a look at that, about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, for many, you know, it, it hasn't been your experience when you talk about Holy Spirit, to realize that it was about relationship. And it's kind of that idea of, well, where is God moving next? And he's kind of like he's always moving somewhere else. And you go to a location because that's where God is moving. But the the truth and the reality is he's everywhere. He is everywhere. He's not limited by time and space. And you don't have to go anywhere to find him. It's just that idea of opening your life and opening your heart to him. And I realize that people are in different steps in their journey. For some of you, this is like the first time you heard about Holy Spirit, and you're like, ah, this is very interesting. For some of you, you're digging into the Word. Some of you have more of that attitude, well, I've been there, done that, I've seen it all. I don't need to hear any more about this. For some, it's, uh, it can be a very divisive topic when you start talking about the gifts of Holy Spirit. When you start talking about tongues and some of these other things, you're like, I, I don't know about that. And so today, I just want to say, we're not trying to change your mind at all. Uh, I, as I read online, I see how divisive it still is, the, the sides that one side says, you know, there's no more of that in the, in the New Testament. Um, it was only back then. It doesn't happen anymore. And then there's the other side that says, well, you're not saved if it doesn't happen in your life. And they fight, and there's this incredible division. And so for today, maybe you're both, um, we're not going to ask which side you're on, because I, I just... I just don't really want to know. I like you all, uh, and I want to just keep it that way. But the other thing is, I don't want to try and change your mind tonight. I just want to simply open, ask you to open your heart, to look at what the, the Word of God says about it, and ask and allow Holy Spirit to direct your next step. Whatever that next step may be, to direct your next step with Him when it comes to this, uh, this part of, of having relationship with Him. So Paul describes... The, the gifts, maybe that's the word you've um, known them as, the gifts of Holy Spirit. He talks about them, these miraculous things in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But before we go there, I want to just, I feel like I need to just even give some background and some some foundation for that. So as we look, at, as we look in, in the words, we go to the book of Acts. Um, I'm just going to kind of jump through a bunch of the scriptures. You can look them up. You can jot them down on that paper if you'd like. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus told the first disciples saying, wait don't go anywhere until you receive the the promise of holy spirit and he's going to give you the power and the ability to be witnesses that's what his purpose is is to to give you the power and an ability to share your faith to share the excuse me, the message of Jesus all over the world. So then in Acts chapter 2, and last week, the church around the world would have celebrated this uh, this thing called Pentecost, where, you know, it's a story where Holy Spirit came down for the very, really the very first time to fill individuals corporately. And when it happened, it was like, there was like wind, the sound of wind, and there was tongues of fire, and, and you read about that in Acts chapter 2, and it says that they spoke in tongues. And and I saw this video, and I we was talking about it, and they thought it was like tongs, you know, like barbecue tongs, and they spoke in un- unknown languages. They had this incredible, miraculous thing happen where these men in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, as Holy Spirit came on them. They knew languages that they had never known before. It'd be like me speaking, you know, Danish. And all of a sudden, Tina's like, wait a second. That's Danish. I know those words, you know, or, you know, for, um, for others, it's, you've all experienced this. You like, you think, oh man, it sounds a little bit weird, maybe in strange, but you've all experienced it. If you've ever watched a foreign movie, you know, if you ever watched those Japanese movies with like the, they got the subtitles that don't match. And it's like, you know, the, the Yamaha, Suzuki, Samsung, sushi, you know, that's all the Japanese I know. But, but as you, as you hear that and it's like, you don't have the subtitles, you're like, well, I can hear this language. I have no idea what it means. But somebody in Japan knows, knows what it means. And it's, it's these, they were speaking in these known languages. And because of that, people are like leaning in and listening like, man, this is, uh, this is incredible. They're, they're, these people who don't know these languages are all praising God, magnifying God in, in the language that I understand. And so as they, as they heard that, they were so astounded that 3,000 of them decided to listen to Peter share the uh, gospel of who Jesus was, and 3,000 of them came to know Christ that day because of this miraculous moment. In Acts chapter 4, those same apostles who had been filled with Holy Spirit that first time, sometimes we think that's all you need, but we learned last time we talked that he wants us to be continuously filled with him, be continuously under his influence. Those same apostles were being persecuted. They needed boldness to keep preaching. They didn't want to preach anymore because they were getting whipped and beat for it. And so then they, they said, they prayed. They said, God, would you, would you just give us boldness? And it says that whole place, it shook. And as they asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he filled them. But what's so, so interesting is in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, you see it on the screen. It says, when they had prayed, when they asked Holy Spirit simply to fill them, it says the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with, uh, with Holy Spirit, and it says they spoke the word of God with boldness. No mention of tongues at this point. They just simply spoke the word with boldness because they were filled with Holy Spirit. But it says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, I want to look for the the main theme in this tonight. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was this idea of as Holy Spirit came on them, that they just became this one cohesive unit that was working so well together. So much so that they would sell their stuff for those who were in need and say, you know what? I want this. I want what I have to go to these, these people. Because Holy Spirit brought about this change in their life. In Acts chapter 8, they went to this place and it's called Samaria. And the Samaritans were filled with Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say, it doesn't tell us what happened. But it says that something visible happened when they were filled with Holy Spirit. That first time when something happened, because we talked about this a number of weeks ago, this guy named Simon the Sorcerer was like, he wanted to buy the power. Whatever that power was, he wanted to buy it. Something happened. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, the guy who uh, became Paul and wrote most of the New, uh, New Testament, he's on his mission to destroy the church. And then he has an encounter with God and also is filled with Holy Spirit and his life turns completely around. And he begins proclaiming from that moment that, yeah, Jesus is, uh, is uh, the Son of God. And he goes and has no problem telling anybody about that. Why? Holy Spirit came and uh, filled him with that. His life was transformed. It doesn't say that there was any kind of other manifestation, but, but there was something powerful that happened. In Acts chapter 10, it keeps going. There's a guy named Cornelius who was a Gentile. And as Peter and, and Cornelius met because Holy Spirit led their steps to each other, They were filled with Holy Spirit just while Peter was talking. And as they were, as Peter was talking, all of a sudden, they started speaking in unknown languages and praising God. And it was just this incredible thing. They realized, wow, they saw again that as Holy Spirit came on, something happened. In Acts chapter 19, the last one, Paul, he was in Ephesus, and he was speaking with about a dozen men, and they were baptized and filled with, baptized in water, but then also filled with Holy Spirit. It says he came upon them, and they spoke in unknown languages and prophesied. And prophesy means basically they spoke things that are like divinely inspired. That God was speaking things through their lives that they didn't know before. Um, And it was just this incredible, uh, incredible power that uh, happened as a result of being filled with Holy Spirit. So as we've talked for weeks about this idea of relationship with Holy Spirit, I don't want us as a church to miss out on the power that He has and desires to exhibit through and in our lives. Because, you know, as we talked about before, the greatest evidence of Holy Spirit's power is a changed life. That is the most amazing thing. And many of you, you, you know, you've experienced that. But his desire is that through our lives being changed and through what he did on the cross, the lives of those around us would be changed. It's why people go on missions. It's why he's got you um, in the places that he has you and the, the job that he has you. is to allow his power to move through your life so that something happens. When Holy Spirit fills a person, something happens in their life. And so we've been encouraging and just saying, hey, this relationship with Holy Spirit, can we uh, uh, stir up that desire in us to be more open just for him to continue to fill our lives? So it says that the church, which would be the gathering of Jesus followers, they grew and, and it was built up all over the world because of this. But then at some point, at some point, you know, here we read about Acts and we realize, wow, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Chapter after chapter. And then the kind of the book of Acts ends. And then something just kind of went a little bit off the tracks. And, you know, Joel, he prophesied in the Old Testament saying that, the, that, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Well, when he pours it out on all flesh, some, at some point the flesh started taking over again. And it wasn't, you know, life by the spirit. It was this, this, this the, the humanness was trying to, to take over again. And so as Paul, Paul, the guy who's writing all this, he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. But he's in Ephesus now. He had been in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them, starting a church, uh, introducing them to Holy Spirit. They had been filled with Holy Spirit. They, uh, they were speaking in other languages. They had all kinds of great stuff going on in their lives. And then so Paul leaves. And then all of a sudden he gets this report. Some girl named Chloe Chloe's got people living in her house, and her family members. They start seeing stuff in the church that they're like, I don't know, this seems a little strange. We better go tell Paul. And so they go and they tell Paul, and he he writes them this letter, and that's the letter that we have, uh, that we've got preserved for all of this time, translated into our own language. Paul writes this letter, and it can be somewhat confusing if you don't understand. Um, what Paul uh, is actually trying to tell this group of people and so for so many times I've heard whereas people have taught about Holy Spirit they just they skipped this chunk in in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 and we're going to talk about those things but they missed something how many of you know in real estate what the three most important rules of real estate are I'll tell you the location yep that's right that's the first one anybody know what the second one is location and third one Location, it's all about where you live. And when you study the word, we'll ask our precept people, what's the most important um, rules about studying the word? First one's context. Anybody know what the second and third are? Context, 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 context. Asking those questions. Who wrote this? Who were they writing to? Why did they write it? What were they trying to say back then? And after you answer all of that, how does that apply to us? See, we so often want to read our Bibles, grab a verse and be like, okay, that's cool. I'm taking that. It's in the Bible. So it must be, this must be what it means. And so often when we talk about Holy Spirit and the gifts of Holy Spirit, it's what people do so quickly. But Paul's not writing just a little chapter. He's writing a whole letter to them. And some interesting things about context in this is this. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthian church specifically. He didn't write 1 Corinthians to to Kingsway. He wasn't saying, oh, there's going to be some people 2,000 years from now, I'll write it to them. He wrote it specifically to this group of people. And he he was writing to correct them on things that they specifically had gotten wrong. Their church was full of division. He'd never write that to us. We just don't have that here. It's amazing. I love it. I was talking with some of our friends and like, you know, I've been here since day one and we're like, you know, the amount of, the amount of, you know, division or difficult situations we've had to do, church politics, any of that has been like two in 10 years. Uh, that's amazing. Don't feel like the need to start any, but it's just, you know, a praise report that's been amazing. He wouldn't have to write it to us, but there was this idea that there was so much division going on. These people wanted to look spiritual, but for all the wrong reasons, and so Paul writes him his letter. And you know, I would say it's very similar to like disciplining a child. You know, if you see a kid playing on the road, you don't, that's not where you walk up to the child and then you teach them everything about why it's wrong to be on the road. In that moment, you're basically just telling them what they need to know now. It's not teaching them, and Paul's not teaching them the whole doctrine of, this is what this is all the teaching on tongues, and this is all the teaching on, on um, Holy, um, Holy Spirit or his gifts. It's not what he's doing. What he's saying to them is, here's what you need to know now. And when you see a kid playing in traffic, what do you tell them? If you stay there, you're going to get... Hurt, And either you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt someone else if they try and avoid you. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, I got to tell you guys something. If you keep messing with uh, and using um, the, the, the manifestations or the gifts of Holy Spirit like this, you're going to get hurt and you're hurting other people. So as with a kid, you're not going to explain to them speed. You're not going to say, okay, this is how speed works. This is how collision works. These are the things that happens. This, this is the hardness of surfaces. That bumper is harder than your skull. And that concrete where you land is harder than your skull. My kid's climbing a tree, you know, and I, I see him swinging like upside down from a branch. I'm not I'm going to say, you know, okay, concrete. And let's, let me explain gravity to you, Max. I'm just going to simply say, listen, get down. You're going to get hurt. And so Paul, as he's writing this to them, he's writing the same, the same thought. The primary purpose wasn't to explain all of what, these, um, what the gifts of Holy Spirit are all about. His main point in the whole letter was focusing on relationship, not getting too focused on the outward stuff. The whole thing was always about, about relationship from the very beginning of this letter all the way through. And so overall, Paul is saying that we need to be aware of the others in our lives. If you read through the whole thing in the context, he's saying, you know what, uh, you got to realize who's around you when you begin to operate and act out in the the gifts of Holy Spirit and in different ways as well. Uh, For instance, that's something the same for us. You know, when you're at your house, you guys act a certain way until someone comes over, right? Yeah, sure, no, you guys don't like shove all the books under the couch and then, you know, put the kids' crusty stuff on the bookshelf and hopefully hide it because people, company came over. Uh, it's the same thing. Like when you're at home, um, maybe, I don't know about you, but our, our shower's in the basement. This might be a little bit whatever, but uh, our shower's in the basement and my, my room is upstairs. And so normally, you know, with my kids and my wife, I'll, I'll have a shower downstairs and I'll run up to my room and wearing just a towel or wearing, you know, maybe just my underwear and heading, heading over there. You know, there's like, because it's not awkward when they're there, but there's this awkwardness when I enter the living room, and it's happened a number of times, and all of a sudden, i like, I recognize his face that's not my wife and not my children. I'm like, hi, Tracy. You know, or hi, Jackie. Uh, uh, and the other time, it was like this girl from our Sunday service dropped off her child to be babysitting, and she's hanging out with Beth. And I'm like, thanks for the, the thanks for the warning, hon, you know? Like, and I'm like, slink down, like, she's scarred for life. I don't know if she even comes here anymore. But, but... There's, there's this thing, you know, there's a knowing that in us that says we, we're not going to do that when we have company over. We're not going to intentionally make people feel awkward uh, just because uh, there's that idea of being sensitive to that. And Paul's saying really very much the same thing. He's saying, I want you guys to realize and not create these awkward moments um, for, for those uh, in your midst. So he's, he's saying, you know, if they're unbelievers, don't make it awkward for unbelievers. He says, don't make it awkward for unbelievers and don't hurt your fellow brothers and sisters. Be aware of those who are around you when it comes to the power of Holy Spirit. And he's, he he's focuses on this all the way through. But there's some things that, you know, if we realize that, we realize that, you know, Paul wasn't necessarily dictating all of this here. This is how the gifts um, work. We can realize and learn some things about the gifts of, of uh, Holy Spirit and his power in our life. Uh, as a result. But it's understanding that helps us to understand that. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. And he says, like, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be in error. But the funny thing is, I guess, is that that our English translators decided to help confuse us, and they added the word gifts. There's no word gifts in the original. Paul's writing to them. He says, hey, now um, concerning spirituality, now concerning life in the spirit. So for so many people, they're like, well, what's my spiritual gift? You're already on the wrong foot. You're already in the wrong spot when it's like, I want to know what my spiritual gift is. He says, just, you know, concerning life in the spirit, I don't want you guys to be unaware. I don't want you to be in error. Then he writes in uh, a little bit later, he says, there are, di-, and just look for the main word in this. He says, there are diversities or differences of gifts, and it's not talking about Um, the gifts of of Holy Spirit, something else. He says, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, of serving others, but the same Lord. There are differences of activities or how God works, but it's the same God who works all in all. And then he says, but. So there's all of those things, but I'm going to talk about something different right now. He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. And that's not something, manifestation, that word is phanerosis, which we get like the word phantom from. He's saying, I'm not giving you something that's yours. I'm basically showing my presence and my power through your life, and that's the extent of it. I'm showing my power through your life f- um, for others. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one or it's put on each one for the profit of all. He says, it's, it's so important that you realize that when Holy Spirit's working in and through your life, it's really not for you. As much as it's for those around you. He says, for to one's given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To the another, the word of knowledge through the what? Same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. and says, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He's saying, you don't even get to choose. You don't even get to decide. It's like you can be open to it, but you don't get to pick. It's like my kids at Christmas. They're like, yes, we, you know, we were hoping dad's going to get us something, but I get to pick what they get. You know, They can sign up and say, this is what, this is what it is. But and it's the same way. We can be open saying, yeah, Holy Spirit, I want you to move through my life. And then he decides what that's going to look like and what that's going to be. But Paul, as he writes this, he focuses on something. He focuses on the idea of there's one spirit and there's one body. He's like, it's this idea of unity. And he basically spends the rest of chapter 12 describing a human body. He says, is everybody a hand? No. He says, is everybody a tongue? No. He says, is everybody an eye or an ear? If it was, it'd be weird. And he says, is there any part that's more important than the other parts? He says, no, they're all They're all valuable as long as they're all connected. And they're not all the same. See, what had happened with the Corinthian church is they had put all their focus on, if you speak in tongues, you're spiritual. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not. You're much less of a person. And so as Paul's writing to me, he's like, listen, it's not all about that. It's not all about you having some gift and that, that makes you somebody. You're somebody because I love you. And I'm going to move and work through your life because I love others. And so he said in First Corinthians 12, he writes, um, Paul writes them, and says, you know, that, that uh, God put speaking in tongues, speaking in unknown languages, he put that in the church. That's part of his idea. But Paul lists a whole bunch of other things first. Just probably let the Corinthians know, hey, you know what? Yes, God put it in the church, but it's like number seven on the list. There's some other things that are, that are more important. And he says it's not the most important manifestation. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, he says this, But earnestly desire. He's saying this to to those believers, but also for us, earnestly desire the best, the most useful, the most advantageous free gifts. Desire those, pursue them. And he says, but yet, I want to show you a much more excellent way. And then he pens the famous love chapter of the Bible. He writes this thing that we hear at weddings all the time, but was never written to, to married people. And some people, as they read through this, are like, you know, he's talking about gifts in 12 and gifts in 14. And then he went on a bunny trail here in 13, and he didn't. Because all the way through the whole, the whole letter, he's talking about this idea of, of loving one another and realizing it. He, said, he starts by saying, you can have all the gifts of Holy Spirit. You can have them all to the, to the highest end. But without love, without love for each other, it's... Nothing. In 1 Corinthians 13, which you've heard so many times, maybe we can throw it up on the screen, is, he says, love suffers long or love is patient. I like that suffers long, you know? It really, really uh, c- encapsulates it for some people. You know, you, you feel like you're in a marriage and it's suffering long. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's relationships you have and you're suffering long. You know, there, maybe there's, there's things but he says, love's patient and it's kind. It does not envy, it does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. You know, all of those words, all of those words are verbs. Every single one of them is an action. It's not this idea of something you have that as, as a, I have love. Love is shown only in these ideas of acting. So love chooses to persevere patiently. Love chooses to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Slow to anger and slow to avenge. Love chooses that. Love chooses to be kind when people are not kind to you. Love chooses to show oneself to be kind. And so as he's talking to them about spiritual gifts, he's saying, listen, remember, you need to be kind to one another. This idea of you being up here and them down there, he says, that's not love. Love chooses not to be envied, not to be consumed with, um, to burn with desire for what others have or they're doing. And love chooses not to boast. They don't brag about themselves. It's not about self-display or talking in big words that that make them um, feel important or flattered. It's not all about me. He says, love He says, love's not rude. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not all about me. It's not about my way, my desires, my comfort. I want it my way. He says, love's not like that. He says, this idea of working together with the gifts of Holy Spirit, he says, love, it's not easily irritated either. He's not that likes to fight guy, you know, who's hot-headed, and you say one thing, and like, that's it. Holy Spirit, that doesn't exist anymore. It happens. Man, it happens. But love doesn't do that. He says, love thinks no evil. Love's not keeping a record or keeping track or making a case against someone else for their, for their missteps. Love, it says, it doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with those, you know, who are experiencing truth. Love covers and protects, it says, each and every thing, but also each and every one. Love believes the best about each and every person. Think about that for a second. Love hopes for each and every uh, thing and every person. Love endures and holds, um, and holds fast and remains for every person and everything. Love never fails, it says. It never, this kind of love never loses its power. It's never without effect. So my question today is, what if a group of people decided to live like that for one day? What would it look like, you know, in your marriage, if you and your spouse lived like that for one day? What would it look like for one week? What would it look like if a, if a family decided they were going to live out this idea of um, recognizing and realizing the other person first? What about a workplace? What about your school? What would it look like? Be no bullies. What would it look like if a church lived this out realizing, you know what, we want to be a blessing to one another. And we also want to be a blessing to our world, but not in, in a way that would offend People would be wishing to be a part of your family. They'd be wishing to be a part of a church. They'd be wishing to be a part of it. And so every relationship, including marriage, including church, runs better on this this fuel of love. And so my hope tonight, as we talk about this next week, we'll talk about the specific um, uh, topic of tongues, because Paul does as well, but that our response might be that we'd be a, a spiritually relevant church that we would have all of Holy Spirit, not just simply relationship, but realizing that His power can work through us, but in a way that's relevant and contemporary, in a way that that affects people um, greatly today. Andrew Murray said this, and I, I love it. If you forget everything, just listen to this one sentence. It says, may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, the love, and the joy of God's presence, and may not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to fill, full of his spirit, full of his love. To have both may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence, and not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to fill, full of his spirit and his love. You know that's, that's where my heart is at as, as a church, that we would be just so open to, to what Holy Spirit wants to do individually through each and every person. i would ask um, uh, if a couple people can grab the communion uh, elements and just uh, begin passing them out. As Paul was talking to them about spiritual gifts, it actually follows where he talks to them about what we're about to do tonight. He talks about this idea of, uh, of what communion was all about, what taking the Lord's Supper was all about. And what they had allowed it to become. You know, Nat King Cole, for those of you who can think back that far, uh, sang, uh, sang these words, the greatest lesson you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return. The greatest lesson you'll ever learn is to love and to be loved in return. You know, we all have that, that desire to be loved hardwired in us. There's something in us that craves that very thing, to be loved by someone. But it's also this thing, this idea of, uh, of being loved, you are already completely loved. And what we're about to celebrate tonight and, uh, and participate in tonight, it basically is just affirming and confirming that you are loved enough that someone would give their life for you. That's what communion is all about. As you're, as you're taking this cup and this bread, Paul wrote to them and he was reminding them to remember what it was all about. That it says that God so loved us you put your name in there for a minute. That God so loved Mark. That God so loved Brian. That God so, so loves, you know, Bob. That God so loves Betty. God so loves Caleb. That he sent his son to pay for our way into a new life. He invited us into a relationship with him. That we could know God. That he put us in a new family. Gave us the chance to experience and demonstrate what love really is all about. And Paul was challenging the Corinthian church at that point to remember what it was all about. He says to do this in remembrance of Jesus, what he's done for you. And realize that what Jesus did for you was to to give us the opportunity to live our lives out spiritually and love one another so so important. As I think about that and I, you know I have I've heard 1 Corinthians 13 a ton of times. I've talked about it a ton of times. But to allow it just to sink into our own hearts and realize who are the people around me? <laughs> that as I heard those things, love doesn't get irritated. Whose face did I see? Love suffers long. Whose face came to mind? You know, love love is patient, love is kind. Who's the person, you know, the name that came to mind when I think that person's not been kind to me or even worse, who have I not been kind to? And as I was reading this earlier, there was names coming for lots of them. And I thought, man, here's that thought, you know, that, that we've got such a great loving church. And yet the great loving church is made up of great loving people, people who love greatly because they allow Jesus' love to be real in their lives, but uh, allow Holy Spirit to, to move through. So open my heart to him. He started really working in there on things. And so today, I just want to encourage you. This may be something you've done so many times. You've taken this cup and you've taken this bread. But he said, you know, examine your heart. Not if there's sin in there that you've got to repent for or anything. He said, examine your heart if you're really, you know, loving the body. He says, are are you in that spot? And so tonight, he says, you know, examine your heart. Ask yourself, but he says, but then take it. He says, realize, you know, that this, that this bread represents his body that was broken for us. That He saw me and he saw you and knew we would need a savior. And he went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He said it was, he, he stayed there for us. And it says his body was broken for us. And to do this each and every time, remembering that it is phenomenal and amazing. So as you take this, you should remember that he did that for you. He said to them, too, he says, remember that after dinner, Jesus took a cup, gave thanks for it, passed it around. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood that you are forgiven, <laughs> that, that your sin has been washed away, that you're clean. You don't have to try and put others down to feel better about yourself because you're already clean. You don't have to be um, act spiritual to be valued. You're already valued. I gave my life for you. And so today as we take this, I just want to be again reminded of the fact that he's made us clean, that it's all been done in this. Would you do that as well? Holy Spirit, would you just reveal in us what you desire, what you desire to do in each and every one of us. And Lord, I thank you tonight that you don't tell us uh, things that are wrong so that we can fix it. You tell us those things that you can fix it. As we put those things in your hands and as we reach out and uh, just trust in you as, and walk with you. We take each step with you. That, Jesus, you'd be glorified. That people would see you and us. they know that we've been with you. And that we'd have opportunity to show your love to a world that's hurting and really needs it. Thank you for that. Pray that you lead our lives, Holy Spirit. Pray you fill us tonight again with you. Pray that you guide and direct us and help us to keep in step with you this week. Each and every one of us as we go from this place. Your name for your glory. Say thanks. Amen.